Welcome to Discovering Creators, a podcast where we chat with amazing creators who are on creators.co, where clients can find the top tier creators. Today we have Sandy Rose. Sandy has been on the DSO blockchain for over 340 days and is currently live on creators.co. She offers a one hour business consulting call for projects at any stage in development. Sandy draws from her experience as a forensic accountant specializing in business operations and financial advisory services, while also having a deep knowledge in the blockchain world. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you for having me. So Sandy, I wanted to kick it off with what is forensic accounting and how is that different from normal accounting? Well, like it sounds like, think of CSI, it's investigative. And so unlike traditional financial accounting, which is typically sort of recording what has happened, um, sometimes it's forward-looking. Forensic accounting is backward-looking. It's investigative. So in the context that I use it, which is primarily the bankruptcy arena, because that's where, where most of my work has historically been, I'm tracing assets and looking for money that we can recover through litigation, through bankruptcy court, and things like that. So it's kind of like, where is the money? Where did the money go? Interesting. That sounds like a lot more fun than your traditional accounting. It is. And I mean, I have a business degree and I didn't really like accounting in school until I <laughs> grew up a little bit and used it. But forensic accounting was highly attractive. And again, it was sort of in line with what I was already doing in the bankruptcy space. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of um, searching, not knowing what you're going to find, but it's really exciting when you find some sort of a smoking gun. I'm thinking of uh, Criminal Minds when they finally find the person at the end of the show uh, or the end of the episode. And it's a big relief. And a celebration for finding that killer. So it's it's like that. But it is. Funny. Yeah, it's a, it is a little bit like that because sometimes you have no idea what you're even looking for. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I do I do a lot of it with um, computer forensics. And so I get to go back and look through people's emails and files and look to see what they deleted and kind of a breadcrumb trail that's quite fascinating. So then how does that translate into services you offer as a consultant as well? Well, so the forensic accounting, as I was mentioning, it's really only sort of one facet of what my longer term career has been. And like I said, that is in the bankruptcy arena. And so my niche is that I specialize in operations. And when a company is in bankruptcy, typically when a bankruptcy trustee is appointed and it's feasible to operate the company, we do that because you can get more money for the creditors by selling a going concern as opposed to like the sum of its parts if you liquidate. And so my specialty is in interim operations and management strategy and, and sort of the finance side of the operating bankrupt company. So what happens, I go in, I help operate the company, we sell it. And then after, once the company is sold, we can also look for assets to recover in the bankruptcy estate. So that's where the kind of forensic accounting comes in. But so my specialty is really in operations. And so I've run, had some involvement probably in about 50 different companies. So I've learned a ton. You know, I, I have to understand the company from a higher perspective. I get involved in sort of all functional areas. And the short story is that through this wealth of, of experience that I have in this arena, I've learned a lot what not to do. I've seen every kind of company and I know all the reasons why companies fail. And so sort of to fast forward about four years ago, some blockchain projects and startups came across my desk and I would look at them and I just had all of these thoughts based primarily in what not to do. I started giving my two cents and sharing thoughts and realized that I could contribute a lot sort of on the startup phase because I knew what the end result was if you didn't do things. That's sort of where the consulting came in. And now I realize that it's much more interesting and I think fulfilling to work with startups who are at the early stages and can build something as opposed to these bankrupt companies that I don't often get a chance to restructure because of the way that I work with trustees and 
sometimes we go in there and really it's just too dead to do anything and we have to shut them down. So I'd kind of rather be helping deliver new companies into the world than doing an autopsy on them, kind of what I was doing before. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds a lot more fulfilling. Yeah. In the bankruptcy world, I'm like the Grim Reaper. If I show up at your company, it's never a great sign. So I'm, oh. trying to, I'm trying to advance you know, persona out myself and, and help people. So that's how you got into this accounting and helping startups, things like that. How did you get into blockchain and Web3 and all of the uh, next generation of companies? Well, that's sort of what came across my desk, though. My ex is actually, he has a PhD in computer science and his background was in cryptography. So he's like an old school crypto guy before crypto was what we know it is today. And so people sort of brought him projects to look at. He doesn't have a business then. And so he wanted to waste his time. And so I would read the white papers and I would look at them and most of them would be garbage. And I didn't understand why they needed to raise $40 million for the project that they were describing. And so I would literally just start sharing my thoughts. And some people were annoyed by it and other people saw the value in it and, you know, sort of invited me to come on as an advisor and participate in, in their projects because, you know, there's a lot of really smart developers out there and they have great ideas, but without the business people, it's sometimes not feasible to execute. And so I know that I can sort of bring this world of, of business to different projects. And so by that, you know, I got involved in these projects, not really knowing what my role would be because it was kind of a new concept to be in on this level. And so I would sort of be involved in all things. And because I can't keep my mouth shut when I see things that are wrong, I would share thoughts about all different aspects. It didn't matter if it was the tech or marketing or whatever it was. So I was involved in all of these discussions about picking the blockchain or how the technology worked or, you know, the token economics and sort of just sort of through that process, I learned a lot about the blockchain and Web3 space. And that's really been what I've been putting my time into. And how are those types of projects, clients different than what you've experienced early, you know, early on in your career? I mean, obviously in, you know, Web3 is way different than Web2, but I'm curious in like the various nuances that you're having to either learn or figure out along the way with Web3 specific projects? Well, everything is new. I mean, the technology is new. Anyone who tells you they're an expert in anything in blockchain or whatever, you know, their, their experience can only go so far because it's only been around for five. And so that's part of the challenge is understanding the technology because it's evolving at, you know, rapid speed. And so you have to be prepared for that. The user base is interesting because it's sort of a small world of people who even understand what Web3 is or crypto or aren't scared of it. You have a, a challenge of, of figuring out how to attract users, what the message is. It's, it's very complex. And it's just, I think it's because it's cutting edge technology. And so there's so many unknowns. Everybody is sort of figuring it out together, which means that you have to be very fluid and be able to sort of change. You have, it's important to have a good plan, but you also have to be able to adapt, you know, as things in the market are, are quickly changing. That's super interesting because me being new to Web3, blockchain, all of that stuff, you're totally right in that it changes super quick. But when you look at maybe regulatory stuff or what you're dealing on the finance side of things, like, are there certain regulations that already exist within Web3 or is that kind of the purpose of Web3 is to go away from regula regulations? And how does that affect like what you're doing in terms of advising or consulting where everything is changing so quickly? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And like fun backstory, as a kid, I thought I was going to be an attorney. And so that's all I ever wanted to do. And then I fell into bankruptcy and business and realized that was a better fit for me. But in the bankruptcy world, it, it's all part of a court proceeding. And so I read a lot of pleadings. I'm involved in a lot of court matters. So I kind of get the best of both worlds. So I have a little bit of background in legal matters enough that I can read certain legal documents. 
And I've actually had to, in certain projects at the beginning, when we don't have funding and can't pay for attorneys, I'll do some of the research on legal compliance, even like jurisdictional analysis for how we form the company, things like that. And so I know people want decentralization and Web3 to circumvent the laws. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And so, you, you know, the laws are always sort of maybe 10 steps behind technology, and that's a problem. But you can't exist in a world without laws. And I think back in the ICO day, 2017, 2018, everybody just thought they could raise all of this money and do whatever they wanted to. And it was a fun, good time. And everyone loved it. And, you know, I came in some of these projects. Specifically, I took a very conservative approach and I did all of the research on going back to sort of the original SEC regulations on funding and equity and things like that. And came to my own conclusions about even though there weren't specific laws that address crypto, how the SEC would look at certain transactions and methods of raising money and things like that. So it, it's even though it's sort of you have to look at the traditional side, you have to also be able to extrapolate and see how it may apply to Web3. And I know that there's some people that kind of want to do now and deal with the consequences later, but that's also not really a feasible approach unless you're sitting on a large bucket of money for legal fees. And if you don't care that your platform may get shut down and investors in the interim might get screwed and things like that. So, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's an interesting mix of existing laws and regulations and how they fit into a space in which they're, they're not yet defined properly. And is that mix in like some manuals or like, how are you able to find, okay, how is this project going to be run from a financial and organization level? Like, are there already guides on how to do that in the Web3 space? Or from your point, is it more just kind of intermingled with how it's been done in Web2 and just trying to carry over some of those processes and organizations? Yeah, I would say the latter. Like I said, yeah. a lot of people are just kind of trailblazing and hoping for the best, but I'm just based on my background, I'm very conservative. I don't want the SEC to send me a letter. Yep. Cute in jail. Like there's just none of that is appealing to me. And so I would rather take the conservative approach and, and try and find a framework. That, and it's probably about due diligence and mitigating your liability. So if it looks like you've made an effort to do things the right way, then you have kind of, I think, a better chance of being able to defend yourself later as opposed to you just do whatever you felt like and try to convince someone that it's Web3. Because I know people you know, who say that, well, a smart contract should be a contract. Well, in theory, one day it may be, but it's not recognized yet. So until there's legal precedent for that, you have to sort of tread in a certain direction with different things like that. Yeah, it's something I hadn't even really thought about. Like it, it's shown as a smart contract, but it's just because it's recorded. Like what well, hold up in a court of law is not something that's talked about. Yeah, much. well, just by way of an example, like th th I think this one day will be a thing, but selling your house and transferring a deed on the blockchain, right? So there should be, in theory, a smart contract you can write that you can transfer. But at the end of the day, when that, if I bought a house in that manner, it wouldn't be recorded in the public record. And when I wanted to go and sell it, I wouldn't really be able to prove that I owned it. I'd have to go to court and show that I had this, you know, virtual deed or whatever by way of an NFT or whatever it is. But it wouldn't just be a simple process where I could then sell it to the next person. So there's there's certain considerations where things haven't really lined up yet to be able to sort of effectuate in, in real life. Yeah, there was a guy out here in Utah probably about a month ago. He was trying to sell his house for uh, Dogecoin. Yeah, And it, it never ended up going through. And I think that was the hurdle was like, you couldn't transfer the deed by purchasing it with Dogecoin. And like, it, it kind of fell apart after that. But uh, that was, that kind of opened my eyes to what could be possible yeah. with crypto. 
Well, imagine if all the public records office used blockchain. I mean, that would be a really good use for blockchain. You wouldn't have to have all these title searches and, and all of this weird work that goes on to search documents and things like that. I mean, it's a great use case, but it's not being used that way. So in theory, you could have someone pay you in Dogecoin, but you still have to you know, go to the records office and record the deed. So if you don't do that, then you, there's no way to prove that you own that house unless at some point you go to court and you get the court to decide that, yes, that's a legal transfer and that's all you need to do. But we're not at that stage yet. If right. anyone thinks that might be delusional. Now, specific to cryptocurrency and blockchain, obviously I mentioned in the intro, you've been on DSO for a really long time in the grand scheme of that platform. Do you have experience in other cryptos and blockchains as well? Well, so I, I consult with, or over time I work with um, three or four or five different blockchain startups. I, I'm not a okay. crypto... So here's my thing. I'm not a crypto enthusiast. I have some crypto. I'm a hodler. I'm risk averse. And so I don't, I don't enjoy trading. That's not, I didn't do that with stocks. I just don't have the stomach for it. It would drive me insane. And I think that sort of the, the volatility of crypto because of the investment marketplace creates complications for many use cases. Mm. Just for example, if you got paid, like think of all these companies with ICOs that raise money in crypto. Well, if Ethereum drops by 50%, if you didn't raise enough money to cover your actual development costs and you don't have enough real world money unless everyone takes crypto and it's the same thing with getting paid in crypto if that's your salary like i live in miami and i know that they're paying some um, employees in bitcoin which is cool but most people live paycheck to paycheck and they can't afford to have their purchasing power cut by 50 percent at any given time so i think sort of that volatility really complicates what i think are great use cases and so i'm a blockchain crypto is sort of a mechanism for effectuating how blockchain can work. But one of the things that I like to tell people is that crypto, uh, blockchain can exist without a crypto effectively, but mm. crypto can't exist without a blockchain. So I'm not an investor, but I, I mean, I have some hold a little bit, but not the main source of income. Yeah. Well, and then like when it goes to the point of actually being able to use that cryptocurrency for like living expenses, you yeah. have to convert it back to US dollar, which then there may be some fees. So then it's not actually like the amount you were hoping you'd be paid and it gets real complicated when you're living off of crypto. <laughs> it's, well, and also I have severe Bitcoin pizza syndrome. I don't know if you know what that is, but you know, back in the day, there was no. a guy that had that, there was that guy that had Bitcoin and he bought pizza with the short story. He bought pizza with it. And then like fast forward, I don't know, whatever it is, 10 years, how much he spent on that pizza based on the value of Bitcoin. And so I literally cannot, this is the problem. I can't pay for things in crypto because all I can think about is how much it may be worth one day. You get a, a coffee. Tell me something with a dollar and you know Bitcoin and be like, well, it might be worth ten thousand dollars, and I don't that want the cost to be that bad. So that's something that I know I will miss well, but that's something that's always in my head. So that's why I, just once I grab some crypto, I I hodl it. Yeah, that's that's really funny and super true as well. Like I hadn't heard of that story, and now I'm going to be thinking about it. You know, every time I'm dealing in crypto or purchasing something with crypto that is not you know a digital aspect. I feel like with like NFTs and stuff, yeah, that's fine. But like, yeah, when it's a physical thing, like, you know, purchasing a coffee, <laughs> then yeah. a year later, you think back and you're like, huh, that coffee is now worth $200. Okay. That was yeah, it wasn't that good to begin with. So now I hate myself. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> that. that is a real world dilemma of crypto. Wow. Yeah, that's, thank you for telling me that story. Cause now I'm going to be <laughs> you know, very, uh, very adverse to it, which I guess is fine. So specific to to DSO. Obviously, Creators is built on the DSO blockchain, has its own strengths and downsides to it. I'm curious what your 
view is on DSO as a blockchain? Obviously, you've been super active on it over the past year, almost a year. Why choose the DSO blockchain to be active on and participating in? So I FOMO'd in. I had just been on Clubhouse for maybe a month or two, and someone that I was following on Clubhouse that I was then following on Instagram because there was no direct messages in Clubhouse. That's the way to people posted about about BitCloud. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I need to know if it's really adopter of anything. And I'm sad about that. I think I'm cooler than you know being linked to every party. So I FOMO'd in. And I think the day that I tried to go, get in was March 24th. But I think there was maybe still a password. I could get on from my computer, but for some reason, through Google on my phone, I was able to open an account. And I thought it was special. And then I found some like magic mystery, mythical place or whatever. And so I signed up with an account actually for my dog originally, because my dogs are very popular on Instagram. And so I was going to mimic that account. And then I went on to Clubhouse and I found some rooms where people were talking about it. And there was you know, a cloud scam and then people saying other things. And, you know, I, for, through that experience, I found this sort of niche group on Clubhouse that for at least a month or two, we were kind of all together just talking through all the things on BitCloud. And so that kind of shaped my experience. I don't know what I would have thought of it had I showed up on my own because there would be no one talking to me and I wouldn't have known what was going on. But through this kind of mm. Clubhouse think tank environment, it became really interesting to me. And because of that, I started to have a voice. And I had never actually been on social media besides Facebook in my own persona. I was either on Twitter as a, as a business or on Instagram dot. And so I didn't really ever know what I would say personally or what even a personal brand or anything like that would look like. But I just found this voice and shockingly people connected with it. And so I just kind of kept going with no expectation about where I would take it or what I wanted to get out of it or how much I would post. I really just sort of share my thoughts about sort of all things Vito and and through that process, I've gained a lot of really, really close friends now. I'm not really a people person, I don't leave the house very much, but somehow I found all these cool friends and now I have opportunities, things I'm building with them. And so that's been my primary focus. I didn't really invest anything and I've just sort of been exploring it. And I, I have a lot of critiques about it. That's one of the things that I talk about the most, but I believe in the technology in theory, the execution I have questions about. But like I said, I didn't put any money in and the time that I've invested, I've gotten back in spades because of the people and just sort of building my own brand and, and getting the confidence to be out in the open as myself. So for me, that's highly valuable. And that's really the reason that I stay why I'm there every day. That's a really cool way to approach it. You don't have to invest anything monetarily. I don't know if that's a word. If not, I'm yes. making it up <laughs> monetarily. But you, you know, if you invest time and it's a place where authentic connections can exist. Yes. And and I definitely agree with you there where it just kind of fosters that community. I've experienced it being super new on the platform. I feel like it, it's a good low barrier entry into this world of Web3 or of blockchain because I feel like with other projects or platforms, it's like, all right, buy this NFT that's $200 to get access into this yeah. community. And it's like, I'm not going to risk $200 for some hope. <laughs> yes. And that's been my argument even back in the day when people were saying BitCloud, BitCloud was a scam. And also just because of my forensic accounting back, I'm like, I'm familiar with real ponds. So I, you know, I can sniff one out. And so this to me was not that, but also the fact that you could actually get on the platform without having to put any money. And back in the day, I actually put about $150 worth of Bitcoin in 
but that was to open additional accounts when I realized I didn't only want to be a dog and I wanted to grab a couple other accounts. And, and back then, if you didn't have more than one phone number, that's how you had to do it. But I looked at it as like pay to play money. I didn't really, to me, it wasn't an investment. It, the, the crypto side didn't appeal to me because I thought the price was too high, things like that. But, you know, so there is a low barrier to entry. And, you know, you, I tell people when they first join, you could use it just as social media. You don't have to care about creator coins. You don't have to yep. care about NFTs or any of the other sort of financial instruments or things like that. And just find your space, you know, see if, if you enjoy talking to people and get involved in the conversations and engage. And, you know, that at this point for me is enough. I'd love to monetize my content, you know, more one day. But it, it, for me, it's, it's enough sort of what I've been doing. And despite the fact that I'm critical, I still enjoy my day-to-day interactions and the friends that I've met. And I actually have some projects and companies that I'm building, you know, with DSO in mind, um, with people that I've met on DSO. I'm not going to ask what those are because, you you know, obviously can't talk about them. But that's really I cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, huge opportunities in, in all yeah. even in reshaping my brand. Because like I said earlier, I, I'm trying to get away from the bankruptcy work and more into the, the straight consulting work with startups and things like that. And sort of through this process and seeing how people relate to me and where they get their value, it's really helped me shape what I want my brand to be and where I think it should go in the future. And that experience is all new in the context of, sort of what I've done the last year on detail. That's really cool. It, it has helped shaped your personal brand where you want it to actually be. Yeah. I No, it's interesting. I'm seeing myself through the eyes of other people in a way that I hadn't before, I think, because I hadn't connected with the right people. So it's, it's really yeah. been that. That's a hugely valuable thing. Congrats on finding that. That's really cool. I feel like that's one thing Creators kind of helps showcase a little bit. Like, obviously, I, what you have on Creators is this consulting call for projects. Have you been able to get any clients through Creators? And if so, could you walk through maybe that experience of starting to showcase your skills? Yes. So originally, I mean, I've known the people that are behind Creators for a while from, from DSO. And so I was really excited about their project. I think it's a great way to bring, you know, there's so many people that are building and doing things that they need to find the people to collaborate with and to hire right. to help them. So I think that space, it was really needed. And so when they opened it up for beta testing, I volunteered. And I think for a day or so, I was sort of pretty active on there. And then I got COVID and so I stopped doing everything. And then when they, you know, were encouraging people to set up offers, I set one up sort of thinking that maybe nobody would see it. So I haven't, I mean, I, to be honest, I, I need to go back and sort of develop it more. I did a very kind of basic intro of, of what I would even offer. And I'm just getting used to even offering myself up in that way. And so like I said, I need to go back and better develop it. But I mean, it was a great experience to set it up. And I didn't know that when you set up an offer, it posts to do so. And I'm not good at self-promotion. So I saw it and I freaked out and I was going to delete it. But then I decided to put on my big girl pants and tell everyone that I was on there. <laughs> and so I've actually had one person already reach out to me and we had an hour long call. And it was mostly about her diesel brand because I set it up where it could be really anything. But but hers was about her DSO accounts and her DSO brand. I had a lot to say on that. So it was a really great experience and we still chat and, you know, I really enjoyed it. So I left it very open-ended because in, in the way that I consult, I know a lot about a lot of different things and I can help in either with, you know, with a company that's already existing, that's building something, or even just a developer that has an idea. On DSO, even before Creators, I mean, I was, I talked to developers all day that sort of run their ideas by me because I have lots of thoughts and I share them. And so, you know, I sort of designed to be open-ended, but I should probably refine it a little bit more to provide more information about myself and maybe what they'd be getting. What kind of specific things do you think you would kind of hone in on? I mean, it's it's very different. This has been part of the challenge of my personal brand. Like I said, I know so many things about 
so many different areas within a business, even just things that I realize that are common sense to me because I've dealt with them so often, but they're not even on anyone's radar, just in terms of how to set up a company and how difficult it can be to get a bank account or other sort of little things that in the startup phase, there's so many aspects that people don't really think about. So on that end, I can add a lot of value. And I've talked to people that will share with me their ideas and it's clear to me that they're not even sure what their idea is. And I find that I'm really good at kind of listening and then boiling it down to what I think it is that they're trying to do or what they need someone to help them with. But sometimes it can just be about time management, helping them focus on the things that I think would bring more, more the most value to their project. It's such a hard thing for me to put in a box in terms of what my experience yeah. is and where I can add value. That's why I try and leave it fluid because I know how it works once I get involved. I just sort of go on tangents of, you know, finding different things that I think need input. Well, I asked that question because I struggle with the same thing. You know, I feel like I know enough about things to be dangerous, but not yeah. so specific to where like I can list out like, I will help run your SEO on your website. It's like, yeah, I know how to do that. But I also know like, okay, when you, when you dive into your marketing strategy, how does SEO affect the rest of your marketing strategy in your bit? So like how- Yeah, how I get it. Going down that. I'm still working on it. And it's been yeah. about sort of finding my strengths and finding what connects with people. But I always have felt like it's a hard sell. Like I don't really apply to jobs because I don't translate well on paper. But I think once people speak to me and meet me, then they kind of get it. And that's where DSO has been helpful as well because they're seeing sort of the raw me and sharing my thoughts in the way that I would if I was working on their projects. But it's a dilemma and it, it causes imposter syndrome because I don't even sometimes know where I know so many things. Like, I mean... It's, I mean, some of it, I mean, I have a match. Some of it's like education, but most of it is just things I picked up being involved in so many companies and absorbing information and having a brain together. It's, but it's, so, but I stay away from saying like, I will increase your return on investment or, you know, I'll increase your sales or things like that, because that's a little bit too tangible for what I'm sort of bringing. And they're so multifaceted that it is really difficult to figure out what that mess. And I'm still struggling with that. I mean, I'm working on a website and I'm trying to create the content for it by finding the things that I think explain what I can do without writing 20,000 words of me about all of my experience and things I know. But I, I get it. I think we're on the same page with, with that struggle. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's like you need a you need a book of Sandy Rose to understand like what she actually knows. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I couldn't even tell you. Sometimes I have to refer back to my resume or ramp. It's hard to ramble off what I know. It's just in the moment I had very split second thoughts when I hear someone's idea. And that's where I know that I can bring value because I'm, I'm just really good at taking someone's idea and making it better. And that's where I realized that consulting is really the best kind of role for me. Absolutely. I feel like that should just be like your headline on LinkedIn or something. I take your idea and I make it better. Yeah, well, that, that's probably somewhat incorporated. I might use that. <laughs> I might use that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome that a, a platform has helped you understand that maybe that's a good thing and highlighting this, you know, general knowledge that you just possess, but you can only really experience that as a follower of Sandy Rose. I can only experience that within the DSO blockchain because you're able to speak your mind and it's like, oh, this is what she thinks about this comment. Or, you know, okay, now that I've, you know, followed you for a couple months, it's like, okay, like you just get what knowledge is coming out, but that's not going to translate in like, you know, a single offer on creators or like a yeah. resume or things like that, where it's just, you have to know the creator to understand where, you know, their strengths are or where their value adding attributes are. Yeah, it's a complicated thing. And I know a lot of people sort of in this kind of economy struggle with that too, because a lot of people are trying to 
do more consulting-based work. And it's a really difficult thing, I think, to define what value you can bring to people. And it's also identifying, this is probably maybe even trickier, people don't necessarily know what they need. And that's something that I've discovered in talking to people. They don't, they just don't know what they need until you share thoughts with them. This, you know, in these early consulting projects, going back three, four years, these blockchain projects, they didn't know what they, they didn't know they needed. It's one of the, like, if, if you don't know what you don't know, it's hard to fill in that gap. And so it, sometimes it, it really sort of takes a little bit of time to get to that place where the value added, where you come together with somebody else so they understand what you need and then you can deliver on. Have you been able to translate any of that experience, knowledge, figuring out your personal brand to the non-Web3 world? Well, I haven't really tried yet because it's so new. For Like I said, I really am not good at selling myself. It's like that makes me want to die, just crawl into a hole, you know, crawl into a hole and then die. <laughs> just die in the hole. <laughs> like that's right. not, yeah. that's not my scene. <laughs> so that's just really tricky. So even once I come up with this website and I brand myself, I haven't quite just I'm going to promote myself yet or what means I will do that because it's just, you know, if I cross the hole and die, all of this is futile and not a good use of my time. So that's something I have to get better at. But I, I mean, I don't, I, I would, I'm really interested in the web tree space. I think that's where it's going. If somebody came to me and they had a non-blockchain project that I thought was interesting that I could contribute to, I wouldn't necessarily say no to it. But my focus, I think, ideally will be to stay in the blockchain web tree space because I'm also, because I'm, I understand the tech. I'm not a dev, but I understand enough that I can be a good bridge between business people that don't understand the tech and the tech people. Because partly because of like my my relationship, I speak dev. I understand how their brains think and, you know, where they have trouble communicating on certain business sides. And, you know, it's almost like a translator. And so some of what I post on DSO is about, I can tell when people don't understand the concept, even just blockchain things or whatever it may be. And it's part of making people feel comfortable in the space to teach them something and then create a space where they can ask questions and talk about it and realize that they're not the only ones that don't know something. I think that right there is key. Um, you know, helping people understand when they don't know something, <laughs> now, where to go to find it or being a resource to help understand that thing. Yeah, like I don't know all the things, but I know enough that I can share something and at least get the dialogue. And I've seen people sort of grow in their confidence levels, you know, from when they joined Deepo to where they are now and how they participate in certain conversations and where they ask questions and now how they're helping others. So it's a, that, that to me is very fulfilling. It's just another reason why I enjoy sort of the Deepo first. That's, that's amazing. Well, as, as we ramp down here, I, I always like to ask at some point and here, you know, wrap it up with this question, but from your perspective, what tips would you have for anyone starting out on DSO as a whole, and then anyone looking to start on create tiers as well? Well, so with DSO, it's a little tricky to give blanket advice because it'll depend on the platform. Right now where there's limited platforms and the nodes are similar, the number one thing I can say is you have to engage. And I tell people this all the time, they show up and they post things and, and then wonder if anyone sees it. Well, they don't, right? If you don't actively make an effort to comment on people's posts and follow people and find people to engage with, it's almost impossible to grow a following. You know, taking time to engage with others is really the number one thing that you can do. It'll translate into followers and down the line, maybe investments and things like that that people care about. So that would be my number one thing. I think with Create Here, it's just about kind of what I was saying before, understanding what your strengths are. And then finding a way to, to, to formulate that in a way that if somebody comes across it and reads it, they would connect with you. And also the cross-promotion with DSO, because people, I mean, say most people that are on criteria right now, I think it'll change in the future. Right now, they're mostly from DSO. So they can get a good, without me writing an elaborate 
criteria offer, they can get a good sense of how I can approach a problem, where I may be able to help them, what my strengths are, things like that. So I think right now they very much go together. Love it. That is some fantastic advice there. Well, thank you, Sandy. Really appreciate all the tips, all the insight you gave on this podcast. Really appreciate you giving your experience as well of giving the consulting call and how how you got into that. So thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.